And we're finally live with our 178th episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host <laughs> Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Hi. Welcome to another episode. I know we're, uh, we're running a little late. Uh, Ken and I were catching up. The last couple of weeks have been really busy and stressful for both of us. So it uh, wasn't meant to be a slide on anyone. We did post and say we were going live and then got on camera. And it's the first time we've caught up in a while. So, yeah, I, sorry about that. Um, but otherwise, right, um, I do have a new set of swag that's going out here this in the next couple of days. If you would like a t-shirt or stickers or any Absolute AppSec swag, join us on Slack and hit me up. Uh, just DM me on Slack and send me a physical address and we'll get you a t-shirt and other stuff for listening. So appreciate everybody's support there. Uh, otherwise, DEF CON trainings are coming up. Um, there are still a couple of seats available uh, for that training. It's the two days after DEF CON in Vegas. I think it's like the 14th and 15th or 15th and 16th. Um, if August, uh, Ken and I will be there. If you are looking for an open, you know, secure code review course, uh, please consider us. Um, outside of that, we are making plans for the fall. If you know of conferences that have open CFTs or you would like us to come to your area, again, jump in Slack or DM us on Twitter, let us know. And we're, we're definitely open to traveling and doing it in person. We love, yeah, we love teaching this stuff. Obviously, that's why we're, that's why we're doing it. Um, outside of that, I mean, Ken, do you have any like conferences or anything like that that are on your radar for the fall, like after DEF CON, after the summer series that is in Vegas, is there anything else that you are looking at? No, but I do want people to be aware, not for me, but LastCon is coming up. So I did want to let people know LastCon is, um, I think their call for papers or call for training has, I don't know if it's been closed, but I think it might be because I saw something about like last time to submit for it, you know, a few days ago. But yeah. uh, anyways, the point is, is that LastCon's coming up. That's a good one. It's in Austin, Texas, and I'd recommend it. It's uh, also you get great barbecue and great food every, every every time I go out there. It's you know it's amazing food. You were out there. You you went to the same because uh, that um that uh that one we did. I forget what it's called, DevSecCon or something like that. That's yep. in the Chuck Norris uh, Center, and that's that's the same place that Last LastCon's held. And the reason I say that is. The, you saw um, the configuration, how like to get to any of those rooms, you have to like go through the main lobby congregating area. So it makes, I guess what I'm saying is that that's one of the, to me, given the size of the venue and just the way it's configured, it's like the best one possibly ever for, for hallway con just because of the way it's, it's set up. Yeah. And uh, the no, it's great. Yep. Yep. That one's great for sure. Right. I, I don't know if, Actually, I don't know if I'm going to make that one. It looks like the CFP is still open for LASCON, at least for like three more days. And I don't see CFTs. I don't know if that's necessarily been posted or if they've like what's going on there. Um, that During that same week here in Utah, we've got um, SaintCon, right? Uh, and I know that one is filling up, right? They, they started releasing tickets for it. That one's pretty huge, though, all things considered, right? Um, when it's is a it? bigger, it's that same week, the October 25th through 28th. Oh. Um, and, but it's a, it's a pretty good, like it's a wider security conference. It's not as focused as LASCON is like LASCON definitely application security and product security. Whereas SaintCon has more of a um, network security bent. It started off. I, I know like we get the, the whole like weird Mormon, or different Mormon vibes, I should say, um, it being Saint Con in Utah. But Saint Saint comes from Network Saint was a an old like assessment, like basically a vulnerability scanning tool, right? Are we That's having where, to explain what Saint is now? Is that where yeah, we're at? It, it, that is oh where God. we're at. <laughs> yes. oh, I, I don't think I don't think many people. Well, if you've come up in the last ten years, like Network Saint was not really a tool that you would be familiar with or you would use, right? I guess that's I, true. I know yeah. we did early on in our careers. That was one of the kind of standbys. Similar, like we again, like hey, you could probably you know drop Nessus in there as well. I guess Nessus is now 
but some of those other open source free tools that have kind of gone by the wayside or some people still use them, but I don't think a lot of people use Saint or are familiar with Saint anymore. To be fair, so, I did not know that that was why the conference was called that. That was, it was like one of the developers was here and then they thought it was funny because again, it's Utah. So, you know, the whole like Latter-day Saint, like Mormon connection, whatever you want to call it there. Oh, so. I never yeah. made that connection to be fair. Oh, that's, you didn't? Yeah. Yeah. That's how open-minded I am. So, yeah. Humble brag. So, yeah. No, humble no. brag there, right? <laughs> no, I don't. I Kids actually never. <laughs> it's because I'm dumb. No, yeah. Uh, I hadn't thought about that. Interesting. No. Well, like, yeah. you know, I keep saying I need to make it out there for one of those. Maybe I actually will. Um, I don't yeah, think I'm going to do last con just because uh, yeah. it's, it's not for any specific reason other than just, uh, I don't know, like I'm kind of looking for something different. Maybe what more wide ranging, I think is probably the reason. Yeah. Well, on this one, I mean, you know, if people are interested and are going to be there, I know some, a lot of the listeners around here that I know in the local OWASP will be there for sure. OWASP, you know, our little Wasatch APSEC group is uh, sponsoring a table or we'll be at, we'll be at a table there to talk, uh, you know, application security. Um, there's not as many developers that get there, but there is a lot of really cool like IOT stuff and um, yeah, electronics, uh, Snow Fensive is always there. They're here in the Valley as well. Like it's a, it's a good conference and there's a lot to do. I mean, it, you know, it feels a lot more kind of like the DEF CON-ish crowd, a lot of villages and other things going on than just application security. So I, I mean, it may be interesting for us to run a workshop and just do a, you know, spot the bug or bring your code base and let's do secure code review or something like that. But we'll talk about it and take it offline. If people are interested in that, then, you know, we could definitely figure something out, I think. So yeah, for sure. Um, outside of that, right. Uh, I'm trying to think what else is, what else is going on? Those have kind of been the two. We did apply for trainings at DeepSec. I've, we've got our fingers crossed that that gets picked up. Uh, oh yeah. I know we're thinking about maybe getting something set up in Germany uh, yeah. or that relative area just as like a not attached to a conference type training. Yep. Trying to figure out interest and venue and timelines and all that. Uh, yeah, but yeah, maybe just giving it training that's just yeah, secure code review stuff. And in that case, I think you know we could even do a three day for what, like the three days the best. Like let's be honest, that was the, that was the that was the best in Amsterdam. The three day format, I loved it. So. Yeah, it it wasn't as it wasn't quite as compressed, right? That's the nice thing about it. Yeah, um, yeah, and and I think we could do. I mean, we could do quite a bit, right? Like that was one of the one of the feedback um, or some of the feedback I should say that we got about the course is that like, as we're going through it, we're trying to compress so much information into, you know, a day and a little bit, right. From a, you know, overview first perspective that the exercises we could definitely give more time on because it's, I, I mean, looking at code, I know a lot of the listeners have looked at code before, but looking at code is hard, right. Gaining context, figuring out what's going on, and especially when we're like, oh, you've got five minutes to figure out what authorization looks like, even in like a, um, you know, a pre-built purposeful application that's built for that. It can still be a difficult prospect, you know, looking stuff up online and everything else. So, um, yeah, I mean, a three day format would be good there. Uh, I know we've, we've had some listeners or some people in the in the Slack channel that are in like southern Germany and. You know, if there's more interest there, if we can get, you know, 10 people that would, you know, that are interested in the course, I, you know, I think we go for it and we figure it out. Right. Um, so if you are interested there, reach out, right. Like if you're in Europe and you would like to do this and make it a little bit more accessible to you, um, that's, that's on our radar. Um, yeah. I think that's everything off the top of my head right now. I should have a list, right. You know, we do checklists for everything else, but, you know, we wing it when we're on the podcast because they're, yeah, that's how we roll. Um, yeah. yeah. You want to no, dive, dive sure. into any of these articles, right? Like, you know, yeah, become, become AppSec nihilists again for a little bit. Yeah. I don't know which one I thought I was thinking, like, uh, I guess we could, do we want to go in the crypto wallet space stuff first or? Sure. No. Sure. Okay. Oh, well, I'm actually, yeah. now I'm. Now I'm trying to find the link. So let me pull this up here. 
All right, got it. Yeah, it's on. You find it. So I forget who's. I'm not sure if this was. This might have been something I caught in Clint's newsletter, and if it was, I'm just going to say it yes. was, so that Clint gets it was uh, yep. credit. Okay. Um, if you are not subscribed, yeah. If you are not subscribed to TLDRSec and you're listening to the podcast, go sign up for TLDRSec. Clint's amazing. He's been on the podcast before. He works for R2C Dev, right? The Semgrep folks, but he puts out a, uh, a weekly newsletter that's amazing. So does a lot of research. Anyway, yeah. So what is this one, Ken? Two crypto wallets, exploits explained. What you got Yes, there? sorry. I just pasting it into the different channels, Slack and YouTube. Um, yeah, no. So mm, there's two major exploits that they kind of talk about with um, I'm just going to at a high level kind of explain it. So they means uh, there is a like next, almost like a B sites next to RSA in San Francisco. There is this uh, unciphered, um, you know, cryptocurrency asset recovery company. And they uh, unveiled at off the chain, which is uh, that conference I was talking about that runs alongside RSA in San Francisco, it's a Web3 security conference. And if I got that wrong, someone correct me, but that's my understanding. It's kind of like running at the same time as RSA. Anyways, all right. So Unciphered, a cryptocurrency asset recovery company, they gave three novel exploits impacting uh, crypto wallets, right? So Electrum, Bitcoin Wallet, Trezor One. Tra is it Trezor? T-R-E-Z-O-R-1 and EtherealWallet.com, right? So the, uh, the Trezor One uh, exploit that that one was more of like sort of a brute forcing of the, the wallet. So there's a nine digit pin that essentially is used to actually, you know, secure the wallet. And they used um, nine GPUs as well as some proprietary code. And uh, all of the like more in-depth technical details, if you're curious of really diving down in, it's all linked from that original Medium article but yeah, that's basically what they did. They 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 clustered together nine graphic uh, nine GPUs. Uh, they they you know ran their proprietary brute forcing code, and they uh, exhausted the nine digit pin combinations, and were able to very uh, efficiently and practi practically um, yeah exploit those those wallets. So that's the first one. Before I go into the next one, um, yeah. You know, I, yeah, and I like I, I yeah I want to talk to this a little bit right um, in in general right I do get some questions about like why we spend so much time in Web three right um, and part of the reasons is that the like these kind of novel attacks and attack surfaces that pop up in Web three they exist I mean it's all some level of application security right like the mm -hmm. way that we're handling code and running code and it's very interesting because a lot of this is public right. So we have smart contracts. We've got these wallets that are public, how they do transfers, how they do access. And um, a lot of this has been hidden behind the scenes in kind of traditional AppSec. So, you know, how people are doing you know, like random number generation, like in this case, like creating these pins um, in a traditional application is probably running on a server somewhere. We don't necessarily have access to the code. But in the Web3 space, we do. And so we see these sorts of novel attacks, um, like bad randomness. I think if you look at not so, crypt, not, so, not so smart crypto or a couple of the other um, projects that are out there is kind of one of the number one things that crypto companies do wrong or crypto developers, Web3 developers do wrong because they are basing it off of, hey, you know, typically we have this uh, layer of um, I, I mean, it's 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 a layer of security because no one can actually see the code and how the the randomness is being generated. But when you do have that access and you have access to you know fifty GPUs that can generate random numbers very quickly, and you can replay that, yeah, you can replay that algorithm over and over. All of a sudden, these crypto attacks become not crypto, but cryptographic attacks become realistic and it can actually be run, right? So I can take over wallets. I can do other things. I can generate um, random numbers in the same way that a smart contract does. If it's using, you know, salts and everything that's defined in the smart contract, it's very easy to replicate that locally 
and take advantage of it because you can start to predict what's actually going to happen. So bad, bad randomness is just huge in the space. So I'm going off on a tangent, Ken, but I like, I've been thinking a lot about that. Why is Web3 so interesting to you and I? And it's because it is novel, it is new, and the attack surface is just, I, I mean, it's massive and there's billions of dollars behind it, but it's also, we can see what's going on. So we see a lot more of these sorts of reports that we probably wouldn't have seen in the traditional AppSec or traditional web space. Yeah, and I mean, Web3 is supposed to be decentralized. We're just not there yet. The only part that's mm-hmm. really decentralized is the, the, the blockchain itself, right? That's the only yeah. thing that's that's semi decentralized and at that point it's still centralized because you're still relying on server and clients to do validations against that chain and to you know do all of the asset and pool kind of like uh logic and so at the end of the day all of this infrastructure all of this stuff that's doing stuff that is not yet decentralized is very much centralized and relying upon mostly code right and that's what we live in that's what we do we look at code for vulnerability so that's why it's interesting I didn't know anybody had asked you like, hey, why are you guys talking about Web3 so much? But that, that is why we're talking about it. It's, it's the next thing and it's interesting and it's uh, emergent. And uh, yeah. yeah. Hey, so I did want to mention though, real quick, before we move on that Trezor, if I'm even saying that right, probably I'm saying that wrong. I feel like an a-hole. Anyways, tre- Trezor, Trezor, however you say it, um, they did say that, uh, you know, using a passphrase in addition to the pin will fully mitigate the attack. You know, and they did the whole like same thing every vendor does. Like we work with well-intentioned researchers and all of that stuff. And that's great. And that's fine and, and wonderful and all that. I don't think that it's necessarily they're sitting here saying like your wallet's completely flawed. I think they're just saying like we found a pretty, um, uh, well, I, I would say more than pretty quick. I mean, with a nine bit digit pin, they can crack that in 15 minutes is, is the claim. And then within 12 minutes or excuse me for a 12 digit pin, they can do that within a, a, about a week. And that's pretty quick. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty yeah. quick, but that's assuming you don't use a passphrase, right? So there are like ifs, ands, and buts, and nuts, and candy, and all that stuff to this one. So it's not super straightforward and simple, but yeah, uh, buzzwords, well, Web3, I, sorry, I'm reading something someone wrote. Buzzwords, uh, I think most of the world doesn't understand it, which makes it exciting for security folks because it's the Wild West all over. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, exactly. You, you hear there are bu- buzzwords. There's a lot of like, hype around web three um some of it's you know undo some of it's due i mean some of it's really cool i think at the end of the day yeah like it's it's going to be very much like uh like when you say wild west i think of iot iot was very much and it still is very much the wild west it's not that it's a new thing it's it's using like telnet and like ftp or sftp if you're lucky uh you know all the same stuff we've seen all along all of the same very simple operating system and protocol protocols uh being used it's it's nothing it's nothing new right um but the you the use of those tools or the use of the the way that it's all kind of glued together and the business purpose of those tools are what for sure makes it interesting. And yeah, I think it is the wild West, especially when you talk about all of the different, you know, blockchains and all the different uh, um, uh, exchanges and all the different providers, it's like, yeah. And all, all of the different also theorized ways that it's going, that this technology is going to be used in the future too. And, and, yeah, I think the, all of that comes together to make it super fascinating. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it does feel a lot. I, I remember early days when you and I were starting to work together and we got pushed into um, the like the mobile space, right? Like apps were just popping up, right? Like all the app stores weren't, you know, weren't quite solidified yet. And everybody's jumping to those different um on those different bandwagons from a mobile perspective, the, the difference that I see now is the amount of money that is associated with it, right? Like, you know, cracking a wallet, right? Like targeting someone to take over an app on a mobile phone is one thing, but if they have a wallet that's on that mobile phone or, at, or the mobile phone has access to that has access or yeah, that has, you know, millions of, you know, millions of dollars associated with it, that target just went way up from an attacker's perspective, right? Like I'm going to spend 
months and months looking into it um, if the payout is there, um, which is, is something that we didn't necessarily see initially in that in that mobile space or even the IoT space. Yes, there's a lot of like, you know, uh, there's economies of scales with the IoT. There's like the IoT worms that go around and, you know, they can do X, Y, and Z, but there's no direct translation in either of those spaces to money, right? Whereas Web3 is, there is direct translation to funds. Like when you start talking about the exchanges, you start talking about liquidity, ah, liquidity pools. Liquidity pools, yeah. It, and, and so it, it's it's fascinating how quick the attackers jump on that, right? Um, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, we're we're kind of going off on a tangent, but that's why, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, the tangents are where we live, though. Uh, yeah, it is. It is. It is. Yeah. Um. So that was the first one, right? That first exploit was using those machine or using those. GPUs to crack the pin because you could see how it was being generated. Um, what were the other oh. ones? The other ones were pretty interesting too. Yeah, the Electrum Electrum R- RC. So that one, um, again, there's further. So they linked to a recording of the exploit demo, which you know has again more more technical details. What I think is interesting is that it it's, it com- it comes back to the same thing that. So much, so many vulnerabilities, so many vulnerabilities. This is this is just the, the 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 basic underlying gist is that they took a QR code, and that's used as input, and there's no validation and normalization of that data whatsoever. It's just here's input, read it, do something with it, and that leads to remote code execution. In this case, um, I will say I think it was limited to Windows uh, to the Electrum wallet. Uh, running on Windows 10 um, okay. systems. So I do believe that that was sort of the, the one limitation or um, not that it's a huge limitation, but it is, you know, uh, let's see. Let's see. The wallets GitHub repositories. And da, 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 da. There's 2,700 forks of that Electrum oh, source code, which compounds the, the problem, right? So any any fix of that QR code function or functionality that, that reads in that content, any fixes there now has to be applied to 2,700 forks. Uh, if they're, I mean, let's be, be honest. There's probably a lot of forks there where it's, it's, it's people experimenting, messing around for sure. Right. But, but there's for sure also like some, yeah, legit, like people are using this in production forks. There has to be right. So now you have to go back and apply that to those, um, yeah, to those to those uh, providers. So um, they're they're calling it similar to like a log for J level vulnerability. Yeah, eh, is I'm it? not sure. Mm, yeah, I'm not sure it's it's quite to that level there. But uh, that's I think that's debatable for sure. But it's definitely interesting. Um, now my question is, do you know? Because I, I I'm not as savvy about all the wallets and all of that that's out there. Are you familiar at all with the Electrum Electrum? wallet at all i i have not used the electrum one i mean i know it's used by the bitcoin community more right because it has been around for a long time um but it's not one that i'm as uh, i'm as familiar with right the interesting thing here is it is definitely pulling that in from um and this is, you know, I'm, I'm jumping down the rabbit hole i'm starting to look at uh code now too because it's you know electrum is is open source, right? Um, and part of it is abstract QR code results. I like this comment reader. too. Cracking a wallet does pose what I believe is low risk, high reward for threat actors. Compromising a wallet gets very low media coverage. And uh, yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, definitely a good point for sure. I mean, it's, it's, it is low risk and it is high reward. Um, if you can get access to those, those wallets for sure. I mean, it depends yeah. on what's in them, right? I mean, that could be a pretty amazing payday. Yeah. Well, and that, I mean, that was the point that I was trying to drive at there is that, that the amount of money that's associated with these web three properties means that an attacker is going to spend months looking at the different um, wallets in this case, to see if there's, there's a flaw there that they can exploit. Um, 
Whereas in the, in the traditional space, yeah, there's a bank or whatever that's online, they're online banking, but the surface is a lot smaller, right? There's not as much for you to actually take advantage of. And then the decentralized nature of the blockchain also means if you can find an exploit, uh, all of a sudden you can transfer that to another wallet, you can move it some other place and it, you know, is quote unquote untraceable, uh, you know, as opposed to the traditional finance system. So high reward. You're absolutely right there. Um, yeah, the, the interesting thing on the that Electrum, right, as I'm digging into the code, Ken, not to, mm-hmm. you know, to swing us back to that, um, is that the QR code reader, it is definitely a library that they're importing, right? Mm. Um, looks like it's, it looks like it's ZBar. Uh, and this is always, like, you and I have talked about this a lot, and I know in the Node space, they talk about it quite a bit, that um, what 90 plus percent of your application is actually not custom. It's mostly the libraries that you pull in. Yeah. And so, you know, having a flaw in one of those libraries or not implementing it quite properly can lead to something like this Electrum takeover, right? So RCE based on, looks like it's ZBar, right? Um, yeah, ZBar QR code reader, right? I'm going to look that up, ZBar QR code python c++ yep open source software utility built you know looks like 2011 um cbar from github open source software right like and and this is where people start to target those packages and what your application depends upon right it's open source software we can see a list of what the requirements are so let's go look at the qr code because that's accepting user input and if yeah the restrictions on that that qr code or it's processing it looks like it was processing like smb strings or something like that which was leading to the exploit yeah it's the the whole the whole the whole scenario and i apologize if i'm restating anything because i I did accidentally drop off there for a second seth because uh i accidentally i have a trackpad and i like my arm brushed against it as i was like just like moving and it just like did a back on the stream yard site anyways whatever it says basically um what they think is like the the chain uh so this is the berlin-based founder of electrum technologies who's who's kind of giving the synopsis here basically a uh, smb uh, server message block uh, network configuration is needed uh the attacker and the victim have to be on the same network the attacker needs to send a payment request that's then read in via qr to the victim and then the victim mm-hmm. finally has to have like a weak uh, Windows 10 password. And then so it's like a, it's a few things. So when you, when you, I guess what I'm saying that all of that to say, I don't, I don't think it's nearly like the log for J level, if that's all true, which it sounds like given some of the details we see here, we see here, it's probably true. I can't say that that's at all similar to a log for J. That's not, this is not going to send most engineering teams into like a panic. Right. Meaning most is in, in any demographic, which is exactly what happened with log4j. Yeah. This is yeah. specific to some folks who are using the technology. And again, even in that subset, you have a, even a smaller group of people that are specifically under these conditions. So I don't know. Yeah, it's feasible. But is it, you know, log4j level? No, absolutely not. I don't think so. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a similar, right, like RCE style attack, right? You know, you're taking user input, you're doing something with it. So like there are parallels. I can see where they draw it. it, it it's really fun to say, oh, it's the next log for J because, right, like that'll get you at least some some views or whatever else. So yeah. Um, yeah. But those, both of those are interesting, right? Like again, right, like it's... Um, library it's dependencies like how you interact with those dependencies do you understand the risks that are going on there um right like digging into that code is super interesting i you know i'm wondering if the next time we do a a, an after dark episode if we pull one of those like open source um not necessarily the libraries but we could pull an open source wallet and take a look at it um like a web3 property as opposed to you know kind of the traditional web um app it might be interesting to to show people how we break that down as opposed to something that is more of a traditional you know, uh, API or whatever else. 
Yeah, right. We all know you're just trying to break bad. That's why you like Web3. Yeah, that's why you want to look at exactly. The yes. You yeah. just want to go full black hat mode and make all the monies. <laughs> no, yeah. You know, when we start doing uh, um, Absolute AppSec from, from our, you know, you know, multi-million dollar undisclosed. yacht, undisclosed <laughs> yeah. location in the middle of the Pacific somewhere. International you know, waters. Don't yeah. say the Pacific. <laughs> You're ruining it. <laughs> the, uh, you know, <laughs> the Indian Ocean. There you go. No, non-specific is what he said. Uh, ocean. Yes. <laughs> Portion of the, yeah. I'm just throwing people off the scent, Ken. Don't worry about it. Yeah, could good. be the Atlantic, could be the Mediterranean. Could, uh-huh. Nobody knows. You have no, no idea. No one knows. No one knows. We're bouncing off so many VPNs. Yeah. Keep them guessing, man. Keep guessing. Yeah. Sweet. Well, okay. So those were, yeah, those were fun, man. I like you. We start digging in. I, I don't know. Like the parallels. Part of the reason, again, I find this so fascinating is the parallels that we see, right? Like dependencies, um, brute forcing, right? Like the attacks haven't changed. It's just a new, it's new, it's a new space that we're playing in, which is amazing, right? It's fascinating. Um, Okay. So yeah. Do you want to jump to, do you want to talk about Amazon? Um, I want to talk about this. Okay. All right. Well, we won't, we won't jump into smart contract best practices. Then I think the Amazon discussion will be a little bit more fun. I don't know. It, it depends. I mean, I'm, I'm actually cool with whatever you want. I was just going to like, uh, I just happened to see this and that's, we don't even have to spend that much time talking about it. I just, it were It's like, I don't know, man, I'm constantly paranoid about, you know, the, uh, the larger tech companies, the ones that sort of dominate the space, the ones that you have listening devices inside your house and yep. video surveillance and all that stuff. Yeah, of course I'm paranoid. I, we work in security. That's like, literally our underlying fundamental like behavior is to be paranoid. It should be anyways. Yes. Having said all that, let me post this actual article so people can stop and then me rant like a, like a. So yeah. Yeah. Ken said, Ken says that. And then we're asking people to send us their like physical address. Right. You know, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, you know, send us a PO box if it makes you feel better. Um, Yeah. So here's what happened. Here's what happened. It in a letter, they basically it was exposed in a letter to some Democrat uh, representative. I forget his name, Markey or something like that. Anyways, doesn't matter. Basically, Amazon had given. I think it was eleven or twelve times. Let me uh, get that article up on my machine too, so I can look at it. Um, eleven or twelve times they had in n. I will give I will give this to Amazon. They said that they you know had uh, gone through and and done this. Um, uh, so they had given surveillance over to the police. That's what I'm trying to say. They had given surveillance of ring cameras to the police without the knowledge and consent of the people that installed and purchased and operate the ring, uh, you know, the ring doorbells. Right? They did this without anyone being involved. And uh, yeah, so meaning anybody who had actually purchased the ring or, you know, authorized it and installed it and all that stuff, right? So so they said that they did this with a good faith sort of risk approach to it. So in the cases, they felt that it was okay. And they did this. Oh, I'm sorry. My dog is just <laughs> jumping up on me. It's, it's insanity. Anyway, so um, they did this with a good faith uh, uh, approach to determining the risk of exposing this content. Um, there were no warrants. There were there was nothing to that effect. It was just literally the police asking Amazon, can we get access to this ring door camera footage? And Amazon did their whatever due diligence they did inside. I can't speak to that. And they allowed uh, they allowed for that uh, that that footage to be shared. So sorry, I'm also like putting a, a watch on my son so he can go ride his bike, a little distracted. Anyways, um, all right, so getting down into it, um, I'll, I'll talk kind of at first about what bothers me the most about this. First of all, um, I think the biggest fear that I, I would personally have is that the devices that you purchase from these, these companies then become part of a mass surveillance network that authorities 
have the ability to access at any time and that these private companies are now cooperating with governments without any sort of regulation. And, and, and I am sure that they're now having said that, I'm sure, and I haven't like dug down into this yet. There's gotta be, I'm guessing some end user agreement, something, one of those 500 page, you know, things you just agree to, right. That everybody does. We all do. Um, that probably gives some latitude to affords them some latitude, you know, to, to do this, these kinds of things. Having said that, that's, uh, again, very, very, that's, that's entering a space that makes me incredibly nervous. Right. Um, it's, I, I think probably been the fear of most people that have been concerned about like having echo shows and dots and Google home devices and all that stuff in your house is like that ever being without your consent shared with an authority. I'm sure that all of this, it's not, it's, 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 about, it's about that thing. Like when you look at case law, it's not about the individual instances. It was probably for the best, you know, it, with good intentions. It's not about that. It's about the long term, right? It's about the 10, 20 year outlook. Where does that lead to? What ramifications come of it? And yeah, it makes me incredibly nervous. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts, Seth. Yeah, I, uh, man. I I'm with you on this, right? Like it's, it's this slippery slope. And like, I know, like, personally, I'm guilty of this, right? Like the convenience and the privacy that you give up when you like trust these large companies to have access to audio video feeds and, um, you know, just so you can, you know, have, Siri or whatever else actually like set a timer for you and other things like that, right? Like the amount of data that gets sent back is overly concerning. Um, and yes, there's, you know, that we, we have a tendency to trust those companies, but a lot of the long-term effects are exactly what, what I have, um, I have concerns with, right? Like because once you give them that access and you become comfortable with it, they always seem to push that envelope further, right? Oh, well, if you're okay with us, like just giving this, you know, without your consent at any time, why don't I just do a direct feed to, you know, and whether it's law enforcement or a private security company or whatever, right? Like all of a sudden they become a security company and they're monitoring for people, for places. I mean, they've already built in AI to a lot of these com a lot of these products to search and to recognize people, to recognize delivery drivers, right? Like all these other things. And we're getting into that kind of surveillance state. But it's this weird, like, siloed surveillance state, right? Like, there's, like, the ring surveillance state, and there's probably, like, you know, we saw the problems with the WISE cameras recently as well, right? But Sorry, all of these the dogs different... Just... Yep, somebody's outside. Somebody's come to it's say my, hi. It's Max. He's out there riding a bike, and she sees him, and she's like, yeah, anyway, oh, sorry. my turn. My turn, yes. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, it, it, you know, at some point there's going to be a company that starts to join these different surveillance networks together. And what does that actually become? And it's especially concerning when we start talking about right to privacy as well, right? Like, is that, is that a right that you have? Are you giving that up within your own home, right? Because you are recording things or just around your home because that's a public space, right? Like, and I don't know. I mean, I know there's ways to do that and to do notifications and to do it properly. So like, what are the ramifications going to be for Amazon and ring in this case? Um, that's my question. What is the response to this? Because realistically, uh, there's probably no real punishment. Oh, I should say. Yeah. Dude, the, the articles to, to find out about this were so buried. Like I didn't even, I mean, yeah, you can Google directly for it and get articles, but I'm saying like in terms of it being just like put out there for the general consumption, like I came across this in a very like app accidental way. Right. Like I, cause like I pilfer through things to try and find like interesting content. Right. This wasn't something that was like, the news just put at the top of their headlines. Like, of course it's an, and of course it's not right. Like what would the, what would the, what would the financial interest of media companies be? And, and, you know, anyway, so having said that, uh, it, it, there's probably no backlash whatsoever. Although, uh, 
you know, it's, it's a, it's a weird one too. Cause it's like, okay, the law does authorize in extreme cases, right. In extreme cases where we're talking like kidnappings and things like that, murder, um, for those, those to be, for, for those to be handed over to law enforcement, but this was done without a warrant. This was done without any sort of uh, due diligence, any kind of like over, basically we're reliant on the oversight of some group within Amazon that decided this was okay. We weren't relying upon a publicly elected and held, you know, set of officials reviewing the case to say, this is, this is, this is something that like meets the bar, uh, and, you know, it, I guess I'm, I'm just, a, it, it's up to like us to just be like, oh yeah, I think like probably they, you know, got a due diligence group. It's, it's probably fine. And I, and again, like, I understand that, you know, say if it was my child, for instance, and, you know, uh, God forbid, right. Is my child, something happens and, you know, like, yeah, I would want that surveillance footage shared with the authorities as well, but I would need to ask the owners, right? Like that was, that's the thing you would I would, I would still and I would think, you know, most people would be okay to consent in, in extreme situations as well, too, right? And maybe not, but that's a choice. That's a choice someone gets to make. It's all yeah. complicated and it's all difficult, but it's a really weird thing to just say, like, I don't know. So does that change your thoughts any, any at all on, like, uh, the use uh, for you anyways of the security or convenience devices these companies offer? Not necessarily, right? Like I, uh, you know, I still have my concerns um, because internally these large companies have shown that they, those, the standards that they apply are just so wildly different based on situations and based on the people that are sitting on those boards, um, right? I mean, I, I posted that statement into both the chats from the article, right? Um, okay. From their, like the company response to it, which is basically, yeah, Ring faithfully applies that legal standard, Right. And I'm like, okay, right. That means that there's lawyers that are, that are involved. And, you know, there's probably like in most cases, this is, this was probably warranted, but you know, the fact that it's almost like whistleblower ish makes me question what those standards are. And we, we already have those problems with, you know, the, the social media companies and how they apply their, their standards on what's, you know, community safe. Or what community. follows community guidelines or safe. Yeah. And safety. what doesn't, right. Like, and then this gets weird too because it's not just in the in the U.S. Right, We're we start talking about in the EU, you start talking about Asian countries and where that data is hosted or where it goes to, and like it becomes messy so quickly. Right, that was the other thing. Right, the the amount of data that TikTok has like shipped off. Right, like user data as well. Um, there have been articles recently about that, and it's it's just as concerning because it's going to places that you don't necessarily intend or you don't even know about as a user of those services. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you don't yeah. you don't know. Right. Like you just it. And that's the thing I ask you, because even for you, I, I doubt it makes any 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 difference. You know, it's and, and, and I mean, like same, you know, not like, like I'm not unplugging my Google Mesh network. You know, I'm I'm not getting rid of it for that. You know, I have disabled certain features within within it for sure, just because like, yeah, there's that that part of me that's just like, but then again, I'm I'm disabling things in a product. I don't update. You know, I I mean, not that I didn't write the software for it is what I mean. You know. Yep. Uh, yeah, and we didn't we didn't audit the software for it. You don't know what it's uh, doing. I mean, there's people out there on some of the social media channels. There's a couple of security guys that'll like analyze the traffic right of what's going on from a lot of these iot devices and other things to see just where it's going what you know back-end clouds they're using you know if it's using a lot of tracking devices if it's sending data off in certain situations or constantly communicating right like there's concerning features about each of those and it's hard to get at that data if you're not a security professional and it's 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 hard to push my threat model as a security professional to average consumers, right? Um, they they have a, a healthy level of skepticism, right? But mm -hmm. the convenience features often outweigh that skepticism, right? Um, mm -hmm. And if anything, all the companies use use those convenience features to justify exactly what they want to do. Right, because they want to sell those products, they want that data, um, 
and that that data is a gold mine for advertisers, right? Like I just don't see regulation coming to that. Um, and I don't see any sort of consequences for doing this, this sort of thing. Um, and so it's, it's becomes more of a, okay, like we're becoming tinfoil hat people and, you know, I'm going to wrap my house in a Faraday cage and right. Like ingress points, I, you know, yeah, I don't oh, know. I, like, yeah, it's, it's, so it's, it's, it's scary, but it's also like, right. This is what we were promised. And when companies do things like this, this is what they've always said they're going to do. Right. Um, if you read the legalese. Yeah. And so I just like, they said they were going to do this. We shouldn't be shocked when they do it. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I like that too. Sorry. I'm, I'm also reading, there's like also really good comments. So I'm listening to you. I'm also reading these really good uh, comments that are coming out as a part of this discussion. Like one thing I think is interesting here is uh, uh, Daniel had mentioned uh, forcing people in the name of safety to serve targeted ads. Uh, and to, to the point there, which is you don't have a choice and you don't have a choice. Like you, yeah, you can leave the platform, but if that's where everybody's at, that's like saying, you know, like, well, you can just not use mobile phones anymore. If you don't like the yeah. fact that we're listening to all your calls, it's like, what are you talking about? Like, that's absolutely batshit crazy, right? So anyways, reading this, um, this go, going a little bit further, um, there was a tweet about age-appropriate healthcare uh, that also got age-gated as, he, uh, as it was put here. So age-restricted adult content, this content might not be appropriate for everyone. To view this media, you'll need to add your birthday to your profile. Twitter also uses your age to show more relevant content, including ads, as explained in our privacy policy. Yeah, not not great. And I, I also like this other comment here about there should be more ethics focused discussions and security modeling, um, like threat threat modeling, but kind of like wider sort of discussion around ethics. And I, I totally agree. In fact, this is actually something I was talking about jo uh, to John with this morning was like, whenever we do these things where we have like, uh, like a long term, where we're going to build a product, uh, and it's going to take I don't know, long tail, like 12 months or more to, to like from the inception to like production, right? When it's going to be a big one, it's going to be like almost like a service level fundamental. In the, those cases, we tend to embed. So we'll have like somebody from uh, one of our teams from the product security team kind of embed, and then they'll pull in resources as needed. But one of the first things we do is we create the, this concept of security principles. Um, we call them security principles, but they actually are a little bit more than that. And this is where we draw the lines in the sand on our not just the security, but like also the sort of like uh, ethical and um, product business sort of like what's reasonable for us to secure and, and, and for users to, ex what should the, what can we expect users will expect of us? You know, what should customers be able to expect of us? And then what things should we not be concerned about? And does that all line up with, and, and, and mind you, that's just the security aspect of it. There's, there's all these other factors that go into developing a product. And I can tell you like ethics is always a part of those conversations. Right. But I think to, to, I guess what I'm trying to say is to the point of should security factor it in. Oh, yeah, I am 100 percent a believer that, yeah, security has to think about the ethics of of things. Right. Like mm -hmm. that's there's a bit of an obligation there, I think. Yeah. And we all do. Right. At some level. Right. At, you know, whatever we're looking at. Um, but it does seem like the, the second that there's a down corridor or there's like money problems that ethics like that ethical line gets crossed pretty quickly or it gets shoved to the side um, in the search of greater profits, in the search of, um, you know, new features or other things, right? So like, I, yeah, it, it, it's hard to actually see. So like one of the things that I always come back to, or one of the people actually, who was on one of the, you know, midsummer, midwinter nights, con, night con, whatever it was, um, Corey Doctorow has, really really good stuff on privacy and watching um i recently read this 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 article just popped up a couple of days ago right um on i mean drm in general right and how like any system any iot system anything that's in your in your um realm or in your you know your space that runs code can actually run any code that you want it to to run, 
but um, companies have restricted it based on you know what they think is appropriate and what they want you to be able to do. But his views on kind of privacy and um, like just in general ethics of these large media companies is very interesting to jump into, right? Um, because he does align. He's got a lot of the same fears and um, realistic expectations of what's going on and how it's, you know, how we're driving toward almost a, you know, a surveillance state because of the the convenience features that we run into. So, I, I mean, I don't, I don't have necessarily have an answer for it outside of if you are involved, like Ken was saying, if you are involved with new product development, new application, new feature development, let's make sure and be transparent about it. Let's make sure and give people the option to opt out and also like be realistic about what's what you should be doing. Um, and I, like, again, it always kind of goes back to what do I expect to see in the code that I release? And I, I expect some of that ethical, like high standards. I expect those protections to be there. And if all companies don't do that or all people don't do that, we should at least recognize it that they haven't, um, they haven't released that sort of information, right? Or they haven't released that sort of guideline. I don't, I don't know if there's anything else that you can do there or say to it, right? No, and actually that's a super, I was kind of trying to peruse some of the article as you're summarizing and then giving your thoughts. And uh, it's a long one. So I'm, I'm definitely going to have to digest that one later, but it, but it, yeah, first, uh, that, that one's fit. That's for a future reference. Cause I, like, I just pulled that out because it was <laughs> relevant to what we were talking about. And I really like Corey Doctorow. I followed him for years. So yeah, I do want to go back to, uh, to, uh, the, the comment here and it's a good, it's a, it's a valid question. Uh, the question is, but whose ethics, right? As a publicly yeah. listed company, you're legally obligated to push profits. So would it be ethically challenging if you don't maximize profits? Uh, so I think there's there's a lot to unpack there, right? There's a, there really is. Yeah. Like we could we could probably we don't have the time to go through all of it. Um, having said that, I think uh, there's a couple points to that I want to extrapolate. So one thing, uh, first and foremost, is you as a security person are there to protect your company's assets, right? Um, so for me, it's pretty easy, the question of ethics, because I know that for for our customers, the people who are paying money, uh, they explicitly don't want their data shared. They want that data to be private. I know that for a fact. That is, I mean, that is the whole concept behind all of the cap style protections we offer all of the organization settings you can turn on and all the switches you can flip and all of the work that we do. And obviously, honestly, my life work uh, for, or I say life work. I mean, my, my, my life in a week, week to week is, is all that, right? It's all about that. It's about keeping your data safe. Right. So I think the question is um, not necessarily, you know, is it the profit aspect? Like, or are there other factors? We want to make profit. So that is one thing that we are ethically obligated to do. But we also we also want to protect our users' content and provide them a safe place to share and store and interact with the community, right? That's another thing that we can also focus on. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, yes, it's not an easy answer. It's certainly not an easy question, but I like there's still, if we look at like what the company's goals are, it's not just money. It's also to accomplish that. There are other things that they have to like prioritize. Um, having said that, while I am, I am no like uh, anti-capitalism person. I'll just be honest. That's, you know, I will say uh, there is a time though that like, yeah, you've got to prioritize You've got to prioritize some things above money. Um, that's just the reality. So, uh, but yeah, what are your thoughts there? Because that is a that is one we could really. I mean, I feel like that could be hours of a philosophical conversation. So it it is it is a philosophical conversation because you know when it comes down to whose ethics, um, right? Like where the company is located um, runs uh, like does a lot to determine what those ethics actually are, right? Like ethics for companies and what's driven in the, 
compliance legal environment in the United States is, is much different than what is driven in the EU and the level of expectations around privacy and other things like that. And then it's different if you go into Africa or you go into Asia or like around the world. So you've got that layer that goes into it. That's kind of like the, the macro ethics, right? And the, the, yeah. And then you get into like the, um, yeah, like micro ethics of the company founders, um, statements, like, I mean, from a Google perspective, their whole don't be evil motto, right? Like that sort of thing is going to start to play into what are the ethics? Um, you have different people that join up. You probably like some organizations have, you know, ethics committees, privacy committees, and that's all going to feed into it, but it's all based on the experience and, um, the expectations of the people that are on those committees. And again, they're not like a duly like elected official that necessarily represents the user base. It's whatever the company, it's whoever the company wants to hire or wants to like be on that board. And so it's going to reflect the ethics, the macroeconomics or the macro ethics that went into it. Right. Like I let, you know, and, and I'm trying to equate this to, economics at some level, because it does feed into that as well, right? A public versus a private company is going to have a different set of ethics associated with it because of the drivers, because of what Daniel, what you're calling out there. Um, and like, I, I just don't think we're going to solve it. Right. But yes, profits will always overrule that discussion. Right. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. Right. Like, Cause I, how many companies have you run into that have like some sort of an ethical statement from a public perspective, right? Uh, well, at least the one I work for, but uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of, yeah, like, uh, well, and then it's not just, it's also one thing, like you're asking the question of who's stating it, uh, you know, like there's the other question of who's actually following through on their statement. It's one thing to say it, it's another to actually do it, right? But I think like zooming out, um, zooming out, right? And still looking at ethics, like at the end of the day, looking at the long term of this, does it feel right for your government to, without your consent, have access to the to the the content of things you purchase to make your life easier, or maybe to you know have some level of security to you know with cameras and whatnot, um, or even just you know, hey, maybe I don't feel safe answering the door uh, without first knowing who's at the door. That's a reasonable thing, right? Like that's not. But then did you think that it was going to be okay to like, and maybe, and maybe if you pulled every single person whose ring camera was, you know, that content was given off to the, to the government, maybe that's, maybe they're totally fine with it. Doesn't matter. The long term of this, the long term ramifications are an ethical question, right? Nonetheless. And that, that question is, is it okay for the government and private companies to have that kind of relationship and use, and use your, the things you're purchasing and operating um, against your consent or without even your consent, without even asking, is it okay for them to share that content? And, you know, that, that has wide reaching long-term uh, ramifications if unchecked. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and I think that's what it goes back to the, the unchecked, right. Um, who is it that's making these decisions? Is it people that we've, you know, I mean, we, we kind of vote with our wallets in this case, right based on the convenience features. There's so many people that use those ring cameras that of course there's going to be situations like these that pop up, but we voted with our wallets that like that, that is the price point where we are willing to install this and put it on our front door. And then they have access to that so that it can provide, you know, a video of who's out there, but also like this, you know, the convenience features again um, that we've bought into that even though we probably haven't looked at those terms of service for that heavily. Um, that is, that is the state that we live in right now. And yeah, like walking up to a door, like you're basically, if it's a, if there's a ring doorbell cam there, you're giving consent for your image to go off to Amazon, right? It doesn't matter if you've purchased a product, it's other people in those public spaces that are pushing that, you know, that are being fingerprinted or face printed in that case. Um, I don't know, man. Like, I, it, but I, you know, if you look up something like business ethics compliance, there's not really like there's compliance reports that are out there. I don't like, I don't know if there's really like an ethical like 
compliance report that a that a business can put out basically comparing like i'm thinking something like i, I mean we're way off you know whatever right today but you think of like SOC 2 compliance you know SOC 2 yeah. type 2 for it compliance is there a standard that's out there for hey you're following your ethical statement as a public company that you know you won't do x y and z with this data it only gets sent it doesn't get sent to third parties like all that sort of um all those sorts of statements that are out there, are they actually being applied properly? Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I would think that Amazon has something along those lines that they could provide. Um, but yeah, right, they, they, yeah. Yeah. Well, in areas, yes. In certain areas, in this area, I'm not, I'm not certain. I, I don't think they'd want to. Right. Uh, yeah. So like the, the ethics behind, you know, hiring and, and sustainable, this, that, and the other, all that stuff's usually, yeah, public, but in terms of, you know, things like we're sharing your content with, you know, law enforcement. Yeah, it's probably, and honestly, like the other thing too, to factor in is these companies are just only gaining ground and getting bigger, right? Like Apple. And I think, I think both Apple and Amazon announced their, their, their acquisitions of like multi-billion dollar healthcare uh, companies to expand into healthcare. Like, you know what I mean? Like th this is not, this is a, this is not a problem that's going away. This is, these are companies that are only getting more powerful. And that's not to say I'm saying don't use Amazon, don't use Apple. I'm not saying that. I'm saying there's some questions I have and I think all of us should have. So anyways. Cool. Man. Yeah. Uh, well, and Daniel, <laughs> Daniel's got, uh, Daniel, you just keep poking the bear over there. I, I love it. <laughs> um, you know, he asks, what if the right ethics in that locale to do is share everything with the government, right? Like, because that's how they will keep us safe from the bad boogeyman, right? Like uh, he's absolutely right. Like that's that's that kind of slippery slope that we get onto is, hey, right? Like when we start to share with the government without any sort of oversight, any sort of checks and balances, eventually it gets to the point that the government gets all the data and then decides what to do with it. And when that's the case, right? Are we losing privacy? Are we giving up rights because of that? All because we just purchased a ring device or whatever else it is um, and didn't realize what those ramifications are or were at the time. And I, I don't have a good answer for any of this, right? Like it's just, it's an interesting uh, thought experiment, I guess, that we're going down as far as like, what are the ethical standards of yeah, giving data to the government without notifying users? Because that that's the 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 minimum, or that's the that's where this conversation started. Yeah, I guess that's a fair point. Like, there are definitely places I could see, uh, you know, where it's 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 like, um, it's yeah, it becomes more of like, well, why wouldn't you want to share that data with the government? You know, and that that, well, that you, I think you, you only share that. Ethical. Yeah, yeah. No, go ahead. Well, I just think that that's probably like pretty heavily cult. You're right. I think it's an interesting question because it's very culturally nuanced because each culture will look at it differently. We are in the U S obviously freedom first and all that. Right. So I am more biased to be like, no, share nothing with the government, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just the don't do it. Minimum. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. And to like have a natural distrust of our government. I think that that yes, is a healthy thing. And I think that that is very, to your point, very culturally specific to certain places other and more so than others, for sure. There are definitely smaller uh, or not even, it has nothing to do with that, but there, yeah, I can think of a few places where for sure that's not at all like the, 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 the biggest concern there and that it might even yeah. be considered silly to, to be concerned about that. Mm -hmm. Just, yeah. just as that is true for a lot of the things that, you know, some countries have rights on there, you know, these are, these are rights to own this rights to use that rights to do whatever. And then other places that's not, that's not okay. It's, it's, you know, considered some sort of like, I can't believe it. Right. Like, so anyways, my point is, is yeah, that's a great question. Um, do we trust Apple, Amazon more than the government? 
That's another <laughs> great question. I don't think so <laughs> because the government's supposed to be for, well, our government's supposed to be for, the U.S. government's supposed to be for the people, by the people, all that stuff, right? Uh, whereas a company is for the shareholders, you know, from the shareholders, for the shareholders, by the shareholders type deal. So uh, so, so as long as you've got stock in both Amazon and Apple, then sure, why not, right? Like, because it, it's, you know. <laughs> or just become a member of Congress and uh, yeah, you'll have all the uh, insider training you want. You can have both best yeah. of both. You can influence policy and use it to your financial advantage. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what it really comes down to for me personally is the, you know, the transparency of what they're doing, right? Like, show me what you're doing. Give me a track record that I can look at as far as what you do with my data, where it actually goes. And then I can decide. I can make the decision on whether or not I want to use those products and vote with my wallet. Um, yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And why I love threat modeling is because of the synergy with the back in the day philosophy, right? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, these are great questions. I could like, I, this is a fun one. I could sit here for three hours and have this conversation. Unfortunately, I like can't and you can't, but uh, I'd love to. <laughs> well, yeah, let's keep it going because there's, I mean, there's a lot of good conversation. And if you want to see the, the conversation, join us on Slack, um, right? Uh, that's there there's a bunch of great people in there it's not just me and ken and there's discussions going on all the time that even we're not involved in so yeah um jump in um become a part part of the community and yeah otherwise thanks for all the interaction today send me a dm if you want some swag and i think that's everything for now ken um unless you have any final thoughts on how to protect yourself and uh you know against uh, disclosure of your data to uh, third parties. Yeah, so uh, there's two things. Uh, Montana and Wyoming, you can move there. You can build a cabin, <laughs> use no electricity, live off the grid, and I think you'll be fine. Like, honestly, I think you'll be fine. So, you know. Just make that. sure and, you know, and uh, like do a do TikToks on a daily basis to tell everyone where you live and what you're doing so you can like, you know, keep making some money. Right? That's, yeah um yeah exactly exactly so you you still still bring in that uh so you can buy uh oh wait oh shit buy amazon products yeah exactly cool <laughs> sweet man all right uh yeah thanks everybody we will be back next week and um i know we've got some guests that we need to queue up uh so watch out for that we'll post on on twitter as soon as we know who's gonna be when um so people can plan out or listen after the fact. So, um, but we'll chat with everyone next week or on Slack. Ciao. Thanks everybody. <laughs>